Our love for you is ticking clock. Belzaka, would you like to suck my cock, Belzaka? That's beautiful, man. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and coming up on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by someone that means an awful lot to me, someone within the Viewerskew universe and a very close friend to Kevin Smith, Mr. Scott Mosier. I'm absolutely thrilled that he's on today's episode, and this has been an interview that's been a long time coming. Anyone that knows me will know the reason I started podcasting was because of the Smodcast. I used to go to work every day and listen to him and Kevin Smith talking all things crazy movies, films, all these different script ideas and everything, and it inspired me to start Skip to the End and Mark and Me. So to know that I'm joined by him today is a huge, huge deal for me, and I can't wait to share this with you. And the good news is, for those of you that like long episodes, this at the moment is my longest episode I've recorded. It's an hour and a half of me and Scott, so that'll be coming up very, very soon. But you know the score by now. I like to touch base and talk about the last episode, so I was joined by the Soska sisters. These two were phenomenal. It was a short, snappy interview that helped promote their new release, Rabid, which is a great, great film that you should all go out and check out. But as guests, they were phenomenal. The interview was short and snappy, but I got a lot out of them. And the good news is, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode, I've been speaking to them both over text, and we are going to be doing a follow-up very, very soon. And I want to get into it a lot more, find out more about the influences and what they, how their careers shaped what they are now. So stick around for that, and it won't be too long. But let's get back into today's episode. So as I said, I'm joined by Scott Mosier, someone that means an awful lot to me personally, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's get straight to it. Here is me and Scott Mosier. So Scott, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Uh, Hey man, it's great to be here. So first of all, what I want to do is take it back for the listeners right to the start when you were growing up. What were those kind of films that you were watching as a kid that made you want to be behind the camera or get involved in the industry? You know, it's I guess the movies that, or the movie or movies that I watched that I connected the idea of making a movie versus just watching movies as a kid and enjoying movies. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I, I, my feeling is it was it was like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice was the one that I think that I put the two things together, and because I was old enough. You know, I'd seen Star Wars and I'd seen movies that I was, you know, really into and and really loved. But I remember watching that movie, and it's funny. I think it was because I was watching the movie. It's it's one of the first movies where it's like, like he had a job that I was really aware of. You know, it's like he was an archaeologist. Yeah. It wasn't like Star Wars. You're like, oh, it's a, it's you don't go like, oh, I want to be a stormtrooper. Like, I mean, somebody might want to be one of those jobs in those movies, but it was like a lot of the movies, like Star Wars and stuff, is like there's nothing to really go like, oh, there's a job being depicted, and I could, I could choose to go down that path, and so 
it was partly that the movie was so great, and it was also partly because the, the movie had a um, you know had a profession at the at the center of it is that he was like a he was a college professor and a and an archaeologist and and it got me sort of also thinking about like oh like what am I going to do for like an actual job yeah or a, or a career and you know you're watching the movie going like oh well archaeology seems pretty fucking exciting but um, <laughs> but you're also realistic and going like I I don't think that that's necessarily the way it is and then it really just got me thinking about you know movies as a as a profession versus just like something that I was already um, in love with watching, but the choice to want to make them feels like a whole other stage in, in, in experiencing movies, you know, like the desire to really go behind the scenes and really sort of like learn how to make them. And I remember leaving that movie going like, I would love to, um, it's like, this is, this is what I think I want to do. And then, from there, once the you know once the that sort of cracked into my sort of got into my brain, and that seed was planted, then it was like every movie I was watching that was on my mind. You know, it was like it's it started there, and then as I watched movies, it became like you know my sort of my appetite for movies grew um, even larger. Like I wanted to watch more. Because I was suddenly going like, okay, like, what does it mean to make this a profession? And so I really started watching a lot. And then probably two or three years after that, I started to, um, you know, read books and, and get more serious about it. And by the time I was, I would say I was 16, that was when I was pretty much, you know, that was my plan was that's what I wanted to do. Because I think Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was like 12 or 13 yeah. around in that area. So, yeah, that was the movie that started it all. Was there a bit of a difference then when you were 13? I suppose it was a bit of a, a bit more of a dream, a fantasy, that maybe I could make a film like this. But then, as you got a bit more mature and older, like the age of 16, even at 16, I don't think people really know what they want to be. But was it actually then reality, or was it still a couple of years until you thought, actually, I don't know if I can make this a real job or not? Um, You know... Maybe I'm just, I'm either stupid, <laughs> but like, I don't know why it never occurred to me that, um, it was something I couldn't do. And I, I, I guess I'd have to give my, my parents a lot of credit, even though my parents were always like, well, go follow film, but maybe get a business degree on the side. So, you know, they were practical too, but they also didn't really raise me to, to, feel like i had some kind of limitation and and i also like you know i moved around a lot when i was a kid from my dad's job so we had moved from i was born in washington state and then we moved to california when i was five and then we moved to canada when i was nine and so i think you know maybe by having all those experiences and having parents who were kind of like all right like that sounds like you know you should go for it it didn't sort of feel like, oh, that's a dream, and and I can never accomplish that. It was more kind of like, oh, I want to do that. Like, what are the next steps? And I just started looking at film schools and, you know, kind of reading about how other people had had gotten in the industry. And and everybody who makes films has a different story. 
I think how they got. I mean, I think nowadays there's a lot of people. We a lot of us go to film school, so that's a common thread. But you know, before that happened, you know, before USC became the school it was, and and all the schools that followed, you know, everybody's path to making movies has been a little bit different. And so, by the time I graduated when I was 18, I had a plan to go down to to go to California and to start my grades weren't great <laughs> admittedly so it wasn't like i was going to go to some elite you know sort of university and and study in some prestigious film program i just didn't have the grades but i went to a, i found this place orange coast college it was a really big jc down in california and they had essentially a film class and a photography. I was like, hey, they got a film class and a photography class, right? So I'll just take those two classes and then I'll try to bump my grade average up. That it, The first two things did happen. I did take those two classes, but I did bump my grade average up. So after like two years of that, I was, I was in that college for like a year and a half. And then I was up near L.A., and I was studying, I was working, I got a, my first intern job at a producer's uh, office. And it was uh, David Permit, P-E-R-M-U-T. And he had a movie coming out called 29th Street, which was written and directed by uh, George Gallo, who wrote Midnight Run. Nice. Yeah, and so that movie was coming out. So mostly during the course of those three or four weeks I read scripts and did some coverage and then I was organizing the premiere so I was like getting on the phone and people were calling and, and it was okay and and then I ended up getting an interview at Amblin wow um, Jesus yeah totally random thing where my uncle had gotten married and no one ever thought he would get married and he ends up getting married to this woman who's twin sister works at Amblin and licensing or something. I can't remember. So in this random event, it just happened. Um, she was like, come on in. So I went into Amblin and then I ended up speaking to a guy there that I don't remember his name at all, which is, sh- which I, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed out because he kind of like gave me a piece of advice that, that uh, definitely affected what he the advice he gave leads me to meeting Kevin, which basically is like, look, we can give you a job here, but he's like, that's is that what you want to do? Like, if you want to make movies, then you need to go, like, go to film school, like, go make movies. He's like, don't necessarily get an intern job here. He's like, it'll be good, but he's like, you know, it's a very different path. Like, if you want to be a a filmmaker, a director, or whatever, you need to go learn how to do that. You need to go make stuff. And so I left there. And I called my parents and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to come back and enroll in the Vancouver Film School, which I I had gone there before I left for L.A. It had just opened. Um, so I graduated high school in 1989 and I went to the school just to check it out. I talked to him and he kind of gave me that advice. And I was like, all right. Then, then that's what I'll do. I'll go to this Vancouver, and it's like a tech school. It's not like a four-year. You don't get a degree or anything. It's just like I think I got a certificate of completion at the end of it. I call my parents, and I'm like, look, this is what I want to do. I want to 
go come back up go to bank to film school for eight you know it was an eight month program i like and uh and that's what i want to do and they were you know once again they were supportive my parents were like fine you can come back but you gotta finish so I had a little bit of a, a streak of being like, hey, I want to do this. And then I'd be like, I'd get there and I wouldn't love it. And then I'd sort of um, want to leave. And with the Vancouver Film School, my parents were both like, look, it's great. But if you do it, you have to finish. It's eight months. You know, they're like, you got to finish it. And so that was kind of the arrangement. And so I moved back to, I moved back to the Vancouver area and there's the orientation and I meet Kevin and Dave Klein. Nice. Yeah. You must be quite grateful for the fact that you've got those parents that were supportive and not like, well, son, you've got to stop dreaming. You're not going to be the next Spielberg. You need to be realistic and go and be an accountant or work in a shop. At least they were, they had your back, which is, you must be very fortunate for that. Um, Yeah, I'm very grateful. You know, I, I think that, my parents are supportive and and practical, um, not necessarily equal measures, but there there was you know they're always supportive and saying like if that's what you want to do, we're here to support you to try to go do it. And then like them sort of you know giving me shit about finishing was the other side of them saying, which in a way is just also being supportive in a different way where they're saying like look if you want to do this, you're gonna have to. You're just gonna have to sit down and deal with some shit you don't like, you know. Not all of it's, not all of it's just like a big dreamy fantasy. Like you're gonna have to to grit through some stuff that may not be exactly the way you want it to be in order to accomplish the goal. And so they're always support. I'm, I honestly, I'm so grateful that not you know my 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 mom, my dad, my sister, my whole family was always very supportive of me trying to go for it and making decisions that I know stress them out. Like I went to the junior college and I kind of dropped out. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sort of painting a path of like, well, if this doesn't work out, I have other things I can fall back on. I remember telling my sister, I was like, well, if it doesn't work out in film, I'm just going to be a, I'm just going to be a bum. Like that was my. <laughs> that was the the goal, the backup plan. It wasn't. Really, it wasn't really, that was the backup plan. It wasn't, it wasn't a goal. It was just like I had this sort of. And at the time, I don't. You know, I don't feel that way anymore. But like at the time, like I really did sort of have that like very limited outlook. Like I was like, if I can't do that, then like I don't. Then I just didn't want to do anything. Like, and I, and I guess it's 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 absurd. And just kind of hearing it now, I'm like, that's such a crazy sort of way to look at things. But, you know, then I also look at some of the things that I've been able to do and the opportunities I've had. And it's hard not to wonder if, you know, that sort of myopic point of view helped in some way. You know, like by putting on those blinders, you know, I guess like that's why they put those, I guess, are they called blinders on a racehorse? I think so. Those things that basically give them just one vision. Yeah. Like I, I sort of, I sort of fitted myself with a pair of blinders, um, 
which, you know, if I took them off, the only thing that was in my periphery was just, you know, being a homeless person, I guess. You know, it's hard to say. It's like maybe if I had, maybe if I sort of had a, a more, a broader vision or, or allowed for more things, I still might have accomplished some of the stuff I did. But that's, I don't have any proof of that. I only have sort of what's happened. And, you know, at the time, I, I guess I just felt I needed that kind of, that kind of focus, you know? So you just touched upon your film school and the time that you met Kevin Smith. Now, you must have never thought the future would look so great with so many opportunities and the, the success that you've both had as a partnership. Now, can you remember the first time you actually met him, like the, what it was like, or did you have that chemistry straight away with each other? Did you think, oh, this guy is going to be in my life, or was it was it a bit of a process to get to that stage? The very first day, so there's two days. There's like an orientation day that was like a week or two before the school start, before actual classes start. Yeah. And I, and I remember being there, and we both sort of represented, you know, two extremes, um, I was, I guess, I'm, you know, I'm very West Coast. I looked West Coast. I grew up on the West Coast, and Kevin's very East Coast. Um, you know, Kevin's a little more extroverted. I'm a little more introverted. So there's definitely like, you know, in that in that initial like orientation where none of us were really talking to each other. We were just sort of talking to the group, and as an exercise, it's you know, it's just a bunch of people sizing each other up. And I know that we both sort of sized each other up and we're like, I don't think, I don't think either one of us are just like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get real tight. I think we were both like, we both had sort of negative opinions of each other. Um, just sort of sight unseen. I'm not, and admittedly it's like, you know, he was wearing a trench coat <laughs> and, and his sort of, you know, the way he, he dressed, I was kind of like, who is this guy? And, you know, <laughs> In his defense, I looked, you know, like like I was on an extra in Beverly Hills nine hundred two one out. So, <laughs> literally chalk like and I, cheese. We were we really were. It's like if you looked at that class, <laughs> it was. If you looked at that class, you were standing in the room, you'd be like, "Those two guys are the exact, are coming from totally different sort of places, um, from the outside." Yeah, you know? and and then and then I remember once class started. I don't remember the exact day or, or moment. I think it was, we might've got paired up for something. Um, I had talked to Dave Klein a bit before that. And then Kevin and I were in a class and for some reason, I think we got paired up or we we're sitting next to each other. And it, we were talking about, we ended up talking about film threat magazine because I had sort of, I'd been buying the issues down in LA and he had been buying them in New York. And that was sort of the beginning that just sort of, you know, we peeled back the layer of what was on the outside and we're like, Oh, like we have a lot in common, our interest in, in independent film. And then, and then I think it was a um, sense of humor. I think the, the, the sort of, the way we sort of built a friendship was one, we both had the same interest in independent film and, and wanting to go out and make a movie. Although I, I, I will say that Kevin was much more, 
was much more definitive about that than I was at that time. Like he was there to make clerks. He was there to learn how to make a movie to make clerks or a version of clerks. And I wouldn't say that I didn't have that sort of definitive uh, a plan. I was like, oh, I want to make movies and I got to go sort of get some experience. But I did love independent films. And, and then we just started talking and I think we made each other laugh and shared a lot of the same. We're, you know, we're a year apart. So we kind of grew up during the same time and watched the same movies and, and, uh, played with the same toys and shit. And so we, you know, and then we just started bonding and then we were basically inseparable. Um, we just met up before class started, had lunch together, hung out afterwards. And that was like four months because he only stayed half the time. So we forged a very, you know, once it started, we sort of were, you know, very like keen on each other. Yeah. And, and sort of dialed into each other. It blossomed really quick, didn't it? It did, you know. And I mean, uh, you know, on one level, you know, we're in school eight to ten hours a day. I can't remember the schedule. But, you know, it's that thing of like, oh, well, we're together already like over 40 hours a week in close proximity dealing with each other. So, you know, that, that sort of fans the flames of, of of bonding really quickly. You know, there's the fact that we had all the stuff in common, but how you, how you really uncover that and, and start to discover and link up is just through time. And so from not knowing each other at all to spending eight to 10 hours a day, uh, for you know for four months you can bond really quickly if you're under those kind of circumstances and you know and you know it's like anytime you go into something new where you don't know a lot of people and you know you're trying to figure out your place inside of that group um you know i think that even that lends too towards people bonding you know like you're you come in there like, okay, who's my, who's, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. What's funny is like, I saying it out loud. I'm like, you know, cause I moved all the time. It's like, it happened to me when I was five and when I was 10. And, you know, when you go into situations or you don't know anybody, we're all, we're all inclined or driven to find somebody to bond with. And so I think both of us were super open which is part of why it, it happened so quickly too. Cause I think we both entered into that room going like, all right, like I can't be, this isn't about being picky. This isn't about, you know, being standoffish. It's like, we were just totally open to like, I, I, you know, you want, you want a buddy, you want somebody to hang out with. You just want somebody to share the experience with. So it's just the perfect recipe for us to sort of like slam into each other and, and sort of become very close very quickly. So you said then that you were there for one reason and you felt Kevin was there for just basically learning and crafting to be able to then make clerks. Can you remember when you first discussed this and it actually felt like, actually, this is going to become reality and I'm going to be involved with Kevin in making this film on a scale that isn't just a couple of mates and a camera? I don't remember the exact day that he brought that movie up. I felt like it was... um... I felt like we spent a lot of time sort of just bullshitting and talking about other movies and, 
It, it definitely wasn't immediately. And then he started to say, you know, part of why he was there was to, he had told all his friends, like, I'm going to go to film school, learn how to make a movie, and then come back and teach you guys. That was his plan. And then when he got to school and he met me, it was this, it was the same, like, oh, like, I can actually, he started talking to me, and then I became a part of that plan. I was, like, I don't remember sitting there thinking about it. I just remember the deal or the discussion was much more, hey, let's sort of make, like, let's both write scripts, and whoever gets there done first uh, will help the other person, was the arrangement I remember. Because we were, but, you know, I went to school to be a director, so it wasn't my, like, hey, I was looking for a, a I wasn't there looking for a director to to produce for. And so, yeah, that was the discussion, which was, well, whoever finishes a script first, will uh, the other person will help them make it. And, and he, and once again, like, I just, I, he had a plan. Like, he had an idea that he wanted to execute. Um, even if he hadn't written the script yet, it's like he at least had a sort of, um, the shell of something and I did not have that like I was like I was writing in my spare time and sort of playing around with ideas but I I, I also had not spent the last 10 or 12 years of my life being a writer which Kevin had he had written you know skits and performed in high school and done all that stuff and I'd taken some acting classes but he was definitely like when we met in school as far as like being a writer director he had definitely sort of done more work towards that than I had. And so he finished the, so halfway through, he's like, I'm going to quit school, save the back half of the tuition to put towards the movie. And I'm going to go write the script. And I was like, great. And you know, with a lot of those things, you're like, you know, when you're young, I don't necessarily remember feeling like, Oh, this shit's all written in stone, you know, like there's no contracts. There's no, it's like for all I knew he was going to fly back and lose interest. You know, like you just don't know. Like, I think we both knew that we wanted to do it, but you know, who knows? Like something could have come up or, or, um, you know, family emergency or who knows? Like he just left and I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen this is the plan. I started working on the short films and, um, trying to just get as much experience editing or doing whatever, just learning as much of the, of the process as possible. And, and then he sent the script and that was kind of the big, that was the biggest moment in the whole sort of clerks becoming a reality. I think looking back, um, was once he'd written the script and sent me the script, that was when there was a feeling of like, oh, wow, like this is a real thing. And it's not just a real thing in the sense of, oh, we could do this. It was like, oh, this is like a real script. Like this is actually funny. Like this is a, because um, being in film school, it's like everyone's writing scripts. I was writing scripts, everyone's writing scripts. And so I'd read a lot of stuff of, you know, amongst all of our peers and I was, nothing was that, nothing had a voice, nothing was that clear, nothing was that funny. 
so once the script comes in that's when i'm like oh wow like this is a now this then it really felt like oh this could be a real thing because it was a real thing you know i was reading something going like oh like i can like this is a this is a movie like this has you know this is something that i could see getting made and and it has a point of view and and once again like it was funny as shit you know and outrageous and like i hadn't read anything like it and so that was the moment it all got pretty real for me because it also showed like oh this guy is really gonna do it like he like he's he's on it like he's written the script he's ready to go so every discussion from now on is a real discussion about how do we make this script so no no disrespect to kevin because he's my favorite filmmaker but the fact that did you did you not not I don't want to say doubt him, but were you quite shocked that he delivered the goods and you actually got this script? Because it's one thing talking about making a film and everyone's always said it, but to then actually put it into reality, drop out, use the money, get it to the point where there's a decent script. Were you a little bit shocked or was it a good shock of like, actually, yeah, you've proved me wrong or how did it feel when it actually got delivered to you and you thought, This is real? Well, I, I'd say on a writing level I had read, um, he had written some shorts during school and he had, so I, I, I read his writing. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I read clerks and I was like, Oh my gosh, he is a really good writer. Like I already was aware of that. And I think even if I think back, there is a certain, like we all, everybody shows up to school and everybody's like, all right, we're all writing scripts. And here's this guy who's just so obviously more advanced than everybody else. In, in that respect and I was I was a, I, I could tell like he wrote everything he wrote was just like memorable and and felt like it was just more mature and so I wasn't shocked when I read the script that I was like oh wow like this guy can write I think I was more like oh wow this is really gonna happen like this is the this is the he's really committed but even then, I'm like, I kind of, you know, when I met Kevin, I, I, I've met very few people in my life or at a time in their life where they seem to have such a specific idea of what they wanted to do. Like, I might have said, hey, I want to get into film, and if I can't do that, I'm going to be a bum, which is a very sort of... <laughs> specific mindset. Yeah. But, that, but it's not a definitive plan. It's not like I was like, I'm going to go make this movie, you know, it was more just like, I'm going to go get in there. You know, I'm going to go find my way into this, this industry and become a filmmaker. But Kevin was like, I want to make this movie. Um, so he had such a specific plan that when I read it, it definitely just made me go like, Oh, okay, here we go. But I wasn't shocked. Cause, cause I kind of had spent enough time with him to know that like, Oh, this guy's got a plan. Like he's, he's, he is not going to sort of, I didn't, I never was just like, I kind of said it before, which is more like a general thing, but of like, you know, when you're dealing with, when you're in your twenties and everybody's talking about doing a million things, but with Kevin, he definitely had a plan. Like it felt like this guy's going to do this. I definitely, when he left, it did feel real, but the script just sort of 
changed what that was. It changed it from being like, oh, we're just going to do this for fun just to get more experience because I was working on friends short films and that's what it felt like where I was like, eh, well, like, look, I don't know if this is, if this is a, if this is going to be a thing, but you know, we all get to have experience and it's great. And with clerks, it was just, and I'm not saying that I knew that it was going to do, I had any idea that what was going to happen was going to happen. It just felt like a different, it felt like a different project. It felt like that there was something it felt like there was something there, which I couldn't even articulate at the time. Like, I just remember I was working on a short film reading the script. I was like a, I was a dolly. I think I was a camera dolly. And I had, you know, just hours to kill between shots where they needed the dolly. And, and I was just reading the script there. And so I had the, the ability to, you know, put that script against what I was doing at that point. And I was like, well, this just feels like it just felt different, you know? And, and like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't aware enough to articulate it then, but like, it was just more of a feeling, you know? So, so fast forward a little bit, obviously then Kevin sold his uh, comic book collection. He maxed out some credit cards and then it really did become reality. It's not just a piece of paper with words on you're there, you're in New Jersey, you're at the quick stop, you've got the cameras, you've got your really close friends of Kevin that he's grown up with as acting, you know, it's... Can you remember the being on set and it actually becoming reality? Was that feeling a bit overwhelming? Because I I can't imagine it at the time, being there and being involved in it, because you never, and even Kevin, no one would have imagined it was going to blow up and become this cult film that it is now surely when you were making it it was a bit of fun and a little project not on the scale that you would look at it now yeah so i flew out i had been doing like prep work in vancouver i've been calling and booking equipment in new york you know by doing that it's like i knew how much money we were spending well, he was spending, to be honest, not me, but like, yeah, I knew that, like, oh, okay, we're gonna like, so three thousand dollars to rent the camera, and it felt real pretty quickly from the standpoint of being like, oh, like this isn't like five hundred dollars all in, like this is gonna be twenty something thousand dollars, which I'd never done anything that cost no um, any amount. Of, I you know I buy used cars that are like fifteen hundred dollars, so. The money part of it sort of settled in. I was like, "Oh, like we're gonna, like I'm, I'm, I'm making deals to spend thousands and thousands of his dollars." And I remember being on set. You know, it's such a mixture of it. It, it was a real mixture of fear and anxiety and fun. I didn't know what I was doing. So there's that feeling of showing up every day going like, Oh my God. Like I, I I remember telling Kevin afterwards or I was like, you know, the whole time I had this huge anxiety because we weren't able to really do dailies. Like we were, you know, we weren't able to, to send the film up every day and have it looked at for focus and sync and have it like, we just, we didn't have any time to do that. We would just shoot everything. And then basically, bring everything up at the end of the week and have that batch developed and transferred. But we really didn't even know everything was in sync 
other than theoretically until the movie was over done shooting so i was carrying this i was just carrying a lot of anxiety mostly based on inexperience you know where i just didn't have the experience of being like if you'd made five movies and rented equipment etc etc you walk away going like oh this is all yeah it's fine right like we got the right equipment and we did a b c and d and on the movie it was like we did A, B, C, and D, but I just didn't have the experience to have come out the other side and be like, yeah, it'll work. So it was really fun, but I was also kind of shitting myself the whole time going like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. what if what if we get it all back and it's out of focus? And, you know, and, and you know, if you look at the movie, there's there's little teeny things like that. And, and we had a couple of those long shots where the sound was drifting. And so we had to cut it all up and slide around the sink um but generally it all worked out but you know the shooting experience was day by day trying to figure out how to get it all done and have fun you know and it was enjoyable but i was i was definitely stressed out because it was we'd sort of painted ourselves into a corner intentionally which was well, we don't want to bring a bunch of people with tons of experience on the set because then we'll just feel like assholes. So why don't we just, like, surround ourselves? Like, it was me, Kevin, and Dave Klein because there was a moment where Kevin was like, oh, we should hire a, a, this DP in New York. He has his own um, he has his own camera package and stuff, and we get him and everything all together. And we'd sort of talk to him, like, oh, I just am nervous that, like, they'll be telling us we're doing it wrong. You know, yeah. and it was like, well, why don't we create more of an atmosphere where it's like, you know, we'll get what we get, but but nobody's ever going to be saying we shouldn't do it that way. And I think that that comes across in the movie a bit, definitely. Which it, which is that we sort of were able to to work from a sort of a naive point of view, and that was part of what was really fun. But it was part of what was scary, too, for me, you know, like feeling like, oh, like we could have made just a ton of bad decisions <laughs> and and this could all blow up in our face. And it wasn't until we were really cutting some of the stuff together that it was like, OK, like now we know that now I got through my first shoot and I know that we didn't totally fuck it up. So now it's like the anxiety of cutting it together was a lot less for me personally like i was like oh it felt like getting through the shoot was the hardest part so you must have been blown away then a few months down the line when it was finished it was all done you're going off to film festivals and the hype is snowballing everyone is loving it it's winning awards you must have just been like how the hell did this happen from us meeting with our friends in a shop to make a small film you know yeah i mean it was the the you can't when you're having that experience and you're making it you're always saying like oh well we're all here because there's the slim we're all there because it's a possibility right like nobody's making their movie there's people making their movies right now it's their friends and nobody's sitting there going like well like like, look, you know, what would be amazing is if we have marginal success and nobody really watches it. Like, everybody underneath it all is going like, you know, because you read the success stories 
and we had read success stories, you know, Slacker and Laws of Gravity. And so we'd read the success stories before we got there. And, you know, we became the success story that other people read. And in your mind, you're going like, that could be us. But it's such a, it's, it's so fleeting. And yeah. it's really not rooted at all. Like, you don't really feel that. It's more of a wish. Yeah. Um, and so when it all started happening, it all felt like a, you know, it was just like, it was just sort of, you know, the like a, a amazing surprise birthday party every other day where you're just like walking to a room and everyone's like fucking hair. Here's like, here's something awesome. Here's keys to a car. Here's <laughs> like it was just, the experience felt, and you're done with the movie. You know, that's the interesting thing about making movies is like you, you go through this sort of intense period of, of trying to make something. And then once it's kind of over and you're putting it out in the world, you know, then it's really just sitting back and experiencing success or failure. You can't necessarily push it in one direction or the other. You can to a degree. But, you know, with Clerks, it was just like, well, we've done what we've done. And now it's just a matter of of walking through doors and, have, and having people either love it or hate it. And we were just really fortunate that, you know, it really caught fire and, and connected with people and felt fresh. And so... It was just walking into rooms and and it was a party. Like every time I walked into a room, it was like, here, you know, yeah, well, this is great. Well, Miramax is going to buy it. And, and then you're like, holy shit. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. And then you're going to go to France. So it's just, you know, and especially then when it became like a global thing where we're like, oh, okay, this is the film. And not only is going to put us in the film business, it's going to sort of like take us around the world to Tokyo and Munich and France and, you know, it's. I've always said, like, there's nothing. No matter what happens, um, no matter how many things I do, nothing will ever sort of live up to that because there was just zero expectation. You know, the things in your life where it's like I didn't think shit was gonna happen. You know, it's like our. It was. It was so far outside of what I thought could happen. And then every day is just like I said, a a, a birthday party where it's like, holy shit, like. Every, every day is exceeding your expectations because you didn't have any. And now, and then, you know, and that, you know, it's amazing because as soon as you make Marats, it's like there we are like a few years later and that's completely changed, you know. Then there are expectations of what's going to happen. And so, you know, and our expectations of what was going to happen on that movie weren't like, oh, it's going to come out and, and, and fail, you know, and be a box office bomb. It didn't fail. I mean, you know, long-term outlook, it's like the movie didn't fail, but in the, in the immediate moment, it's like, you know, the movie didn't do well. And so, you know, the, and that was, that was, and our expectation was just like, Oh, this is it. Like we're going to, you know, we're just, you know, we're on a fucking rocket to, to good times. And this rocket's just going to keep going up and up and up. And then, and then the rocket sort of crashed and burned <laughs> and uh, that everything came to a halt, you know. And then every movie that you make after that, it's really, really hard to remove expectation from the experience because everyone around you is is dealing in expectation too. So 
you don't get to make movies. You rarely get to make movies without expectation being attached to it. You know. So when you made Clerks, the success was huge. You then did Morats, and you just talked about how it kind of flopped. Was that the moment that the bubble burst? Because I always think, as an outsider, even though I'm a fan of all your work, I'm not living it. I'm not the one who's on the journey with Kevin and the Viewerskew crew and everything. Was that the moment when you kind of you were going all over the world? You were doing this, you were doing that. Every day felt like a party. But was it the Morats release when it's kindly felt a bit more real and a bit like, oh fuck, like. That that's a bit more real now. My bubbles burst, and this is real life. So we make Clerks are on this journey, and then we get a studio movie with Mallrats, which once again just felt like, oh, we're on a rocket to, you know, we're actually getting paid money. Like yeah, we're making a you know a multi million dollar movie for a studio. Um, we got billboards. We're we got millions of dollars. We're actually getting paid to do it. So the rocket just kept going, and then and then the, with the release, the the rocket just crashed into the earth, and and that was the moment of like, you know, you're living on a you're on this rocket, and and then you're sort of looking out of the future, and like, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that, and like once this is successful, once again those expectations come into play, and you start planning your life or writing the story of your life. You know, which we all do all day long. You know, you start writing the story of like, oh, this is going to happen. And then, da 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 da. And you imagine your life sort of after, like, I personally was like, yeah, I was imagining my life after the success of Mallrats. I wasn't imagining my life after it bombed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that day comes and you're like, oh, well, that's all gone. And you're like, what are we going to do now? You know, when you look back on everything, I don't know if it's everything happens for a reason, but everything sort of, everything happens, well, shit happens, and then that sort of changes your path. And so, on one level, if Mars had been really successful, who knows what we would have done? We wouldn't have made Chasing Amy. Um, at least we wouldn't have made the version of Chasing Amy we did. It was that. It was the failure of that. It was you know the Marat's kind of bombing really pushed us to a place of like, um, okay, well let's let's sort of step, take a step back and go like, what you know? I, I think for Kevin, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, and he was needed to find something personal, and he wanted to make something that wasn't like five or six million. It was like, I want to go back, and I think that. You know, in a weird way, Chasing Amy was kind of more in line with the film you would make after Clerks anyways. You know, it's only a million dollars. It's kind of, you know, a matter of learning your craft. But but once again, it's like, I don't think, you know, if you love, if you, if you love Chasing Amy, if that's your favorite movie, it's like on one level, you have to give Mallrats a lot of credit. (laughs) Yeah, because because without it, it's like you know, it, they're, they're you know everything's connected, and so um, yeah, like I, I think Chasing Amy was like the part where we sat like okay, we had a lot of success, we got in the business, and we bombed, and now you're like shit, are we gonna get, you know, are we gonna be able to stay in the business? How do we sort of put something together that's goes back to more of a low risk sort of situation for everybody 
and show that we can really deliver. And that's what Chasing Amy becomes on a lot of levels. You know, uh, I think it's a more personal movie in that there is stakes. Like there are the stakes of like, all right, we got to sort of, we got to quickly get back in there and show people what we can do and show that we can, you know, we weren't just one hit wonders. And and for me personally, it was like, oh, I'm going to take a lot of it on and try to produce it exactly the way I want to produce it versus Mallrats where there's a lot of different producers. And I'm not saying that that affected how the movie was. It was more of a personal thing where I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, like I'd like to do it my way. I'd like to know that, that, that I'm contributing, you know, more than just sort of, I just wanted to be like, well, let me try to do it my way so I can sort of know whether my instincts or ideas are, are good or not, you know, like that you want to learn by, we're all sort of pushing out and trying to find whether our ideas or our sort of how we look at things are going to land, you know, like I wanted to know on Chasing Amy that like I could take this on and do it my way. And at the end of it, it worked out and not everything I, and not every way I wanted to do it worked out. Like there were things that I was like, I made mistakes and stuff like that. But overall it was a big, uh, learning experience and a growth, like a big, um, I grew a lot of that movie by sort of almost killing myself. <laughs> it's a strange one because being such a fan of Kevin's work and your work, like, I now have a new respect just from talking to you today about Morats, and it sounds awful, but I'm glad it flopped because if it meant we then got Chase Namey, which was more of a return to the roots and a more of an independent film, it felt more Kevin, it felt more Hart, it felt more John Hughes, then I'm really grateful, if that makes sense. I, if 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 Morats had been huge and a massive success, would Kevin have gone on and just done stuff like American Pie for the rest of his life, you know, and huge big budget comedies or was it better that we had that so it shaped his kind of future films really i yeah i mean you know it's like what would we have done if morris was a if morris was a huge success i don't you know he still wanted to make dogma i i, I don't think it would have been completely different but the reality is that everyone around us even if we or even if kevin was was still had specific things in mind that he wanted to do. The whole business around us would have been challenging that. Yeah, you know, they would have been like, "Oh, no, no, no!" Like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, but you should do this. Like, do another rated R comedy. Do another rated R comedy." Um, so, <clears throat> and 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 that's you know, it's speculation as to as to whether what our paths would have been, but certainly the temptation. And the expectation and everything would have been very different. Because after Marats doesn't do well, it's like, whoa, well, once again, we're back in a situation where everyone doesn't really have any more expectations. Like, everyone's like, eh, like maybe they had one in them. You know, maybe that was Clerks was the only thing that they really had, or that Kevin had, that both of us had at all. Like, everything else, like, that was the, that was the, that was sort of just like luck, you know? Yeah. You've been like called um, the one-hit wonder. Yeah, basically, they call it also the sophomore slump. Like everybody makes their second movie and it doesn't do that well. 
And, you know, I mean, on one level, I, you know, I tend to look at our, those early days and go like, we're kids too. Yeah. Like we were, we were young. Like I turned 24 on a set of mall rats. And so, you know, the decisions we were making was, you know, to go make mall rats was really about like, yeah, let's go do a studio movie. Let's like get locked into the business and have that experience. One, because it came, you know, we were offered it like, you know, that's the thing where it's like you, you finish clerks and then suddenly people come knocking and say like, Hey, do you want to do this? And it was Jim Jacks who made Dazed and confused, which we both liked. And we knew Richard Linklater were like, Oh wow. Like we can, we can make a, you know, we can go make a studio movie at universal. And Kevin had the idea for Mallrats, which was a fun, great idea. But, you know, I don't think, I think, you, you know, you just end up, most of the process, <clears throat> some people, you know, lay out every film they ever want to make, but, you know, life isn't like that. No. You know, everything is, you do something, especially with films, it's like, you do it and it comes out, and what happens when it comes out or how it's received does shape what you're going to do next because it changes what your opportunities are, you know? And so when chasing Amy comes out on the, on the other side of it, that, that, that creates the, the momentum to get a movie like dogma made and get that kind of cast that's in Dogma. you know, without chasing Amy being what it was, um, being a movie that uh, allowed actors to really, you know, put in like, real performances, you know, like chasing Amy becomes the one where everyone goes like, Oh, like this guy can write, like this guy can write great roles for people. So, and, and tell like a, uh, a really interesting heartfelt story that's funny. And so dogma, once again, so dogma is only, you know, if you don't like chasing Amy, but you love dogma, <laughs> then, you know, once again like you have to at least you have to at least acknowledge it because you know dogma doesn't become possible without that movie i like it i like the way that they all kind of link in some way and if it wasn't for one you don't get the other i like that it all kind of panned out okay but overall it wasn't okay if that makes sense yeah and you know the it's like you can't you just you can't write your life no you know and you can't sort of decide whether you're going to... The truth is, like, I, and, and I feel this all the time, where I'm like, I mean, I'm a determined person, and, you know, I have goals, and I push to reach those, but I don't get to decide what succeeds and what fails, you know? I, I just don't... I don't... I, I, can, I can do all the work I can. I can put everything I have into it to, to make it... A, a good movie against whatever the circumstances are when you make any movie. But I don't necessarily get to decide whether it's a success or a failure. And once you sort of, once you accept that, then, you know, for me, you just have to do the work and then be ready. And then just take a deep breath and be like, well, it's either A is going to happen or B is going to happen. And if A happens, I'll be prepared to do, then, then I have this list of opportunities, so I'll do that. And if B happens, then, then 
I'll have to rethink, you know, or, or come up with a, another idea or, or something else to do, which is not something that you can sort of, which that, I only say that now, and I'm almost 48, so it's not something that I was, I was, it's not something that I was thinking about or understanding when I was, you know, like when Kevin and I were making those early movies, like we were just living it day by day and just having those experiences. And now that I've, now that it's, you know, next year, I mean, it was 25 years ago this year that we made Clerks. And next year, be 25 years over it came out. It's like, you know, these are things I can say in hindsight, or these are things I can sort of apply to my life now where I'm like, well, I've done this enough that it's crazy to sort of, it's crazy to get so connected or attached to whether it's going to succeed or fail in either direction. You know, there's no reason to make yourself miserable about that something might fail. And there's no reason to sort of start living in some like alternative place where you've planned up the rest of your life because of how successful something will be either because either case isn't going to benefit you in the end it's nice and inspiring to hear that and it's uh, only took you 28 years to think that because your last plan b when we first talked was be a bum so uh, <laughs> it's come on well. <laughs> exactly and, I, and it's funny like i you know to act, like this isn't just this year but it's like I remember my sister bringing that up to me like five or six years ago. I think I'd forgot about it. And I was like, oh my God, like that is such a <laughs> strange thing to say. But then as soon as I was sitting there, I was like, oh, but I felt that. Like it wasn't like me just being a, I wasn't just being dramatic. Like no. I remember feeling it. Like it came from an actual feeling inside of me. And now I'm, you know, now I'm old enough that it's like, I don't feel that way at all. It's like, I feel like, and you know, hopefully because of experience and and age, I'm like there. There are many things that I could do to and feel fulfilled. You know. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, you obviously then produced eight films with Kevin. Uh, the partnership was going from strength to strength. Stuff like Dogma is an absolute masterpiece. People still talk about it now. It's it, it went stronger and stronger, but after Zach and Miri, you decided to kind of leave the nest, um, go alone, and and kind of you know not do any more feature films with him. Did it did it kind of feel the right time, or had it been a feeling that you'd had for a few years prior to that, or was it? Did you just know inside that now's the time? Um, I I mean it wasn't you know just for context, it wasn't like. It wasn't like Zach and Mary happened, and then I just suddenly came out of the blue. Like, Kevin and I had had the conversations yeah. a few times where I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And after Jersey Girl, I took, like, six or seven months off and traveled. Yeah. Because um, I just was like, I need, you know, I was like, we've been working a lot, and and I need to go. And I, I like to travel, so I was like, I just need six months to go do something for fun, you know, and for, for experience. And so, you know, the seeds of like, the seeds of at some point I'm probably going to need to go try to do something were there. And then it was after, I think it was Zach and Mary. Um, Clerks 2 was really fun. And Zach and Mary was, was, it was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, 
there was complications and, and the release, you know, kind of didn't feel great. Some of the marketing and, and the, the date that it got released. And so I think for both of us, there's a level of disappointment. And, and so then once again, you know, just to keep the conversation in, in this idea of like, you know, and then the movie comes out and, you know, with Zach and Mary, it was a disappointment. I thought, you know, and I thought, I thought the movie had come out really well. I thought it was a really, I think it's <clears throat> a really well-made movie. I think Kevin did a great job. I think it looks great. I think it's a, I think it's a, a, a very unique love story that people hadn't seen before. And, and so I was definitely like, I was bummed out and Kevin was bummed out. And so, you know, in that moment, you know, the, the, when things, when things sort of, I mean, fail is such a bad word, but like when things don't sort of live up to, you know, I thought we made a good movie and, and I feel like, um, and I was disappointed. I was really disappointed with what happened. And in those moments, you're much more inclined to be like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? Or what am I going to do next? Versus when something is successful, you know, when things are successful, <clears throat> there's a little bit more of a, a sense of you're moving forward. And when things sort of fizzle or, or, or disappointing, you, you sort of feel stalled, you know, with success, there's that feeling of like, Oh, like we're moving forward. We're moving up or, or, or like, okay, great. Like, but when you get those things that just sort of like hit a wall and you sort of hit the wall with your face right alongside them, like everybody sort of sits down and is like, all right, you know, big bloody nose, like what are we going to do now? Which happened on mall rats. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, the moments that sort of fizzle make you go, okay, well, what are we going to do next? Because, there isn't a huge group of people out there demanding that we do that again. And so, you know, the circumstances of what happened did make me go like, you know, I should, this is, this just feels like the right time for me to take the gamble and sort of try to step away from being a producer, not try to. And that's where it's like, for me, just to be clear, it's like I wasn't really trying to step away. It wasn't about stepping away from Kevin. No. It was about me going like, well, I want to step towards something yeah, versus step away from something. And I was like, I got to, you know, either I – I kind of really was like, look, either you come to terms with just being a producer and keep doing it or, or, or stop and try to redefine yourself um, to everybody about what you can actually do. And so that's what I did. And I stopped and I started writing was the first thing I did. I just started writing scripts and I wrote like a couple of, uh, you know, specs and, and I wasn't making any money, and I was running around town. And this guy, Joe Casey, who works for 
these man of action guys. They created Ben 10 and all these other animated, he, he writes tons of comics too. And I ended up meeting him and cause I'd sold a show to Disney with this artist, Jim Mafood and it never went anywhere. But, um, so I had, it's like, it was funny. I, so I, uh, I haven't thought about this till now, but I was like, I stopped doing Zack and Mary. I'd written some scripts and then I sold a show to Disney XD, uh, animated show called, uh, uh, what was it called? It was the longest title in the world. Shogun Samurai Skate Ninjas versus Lord Ping and, ugh. Just rolls off the tongue that one, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, it, was like, it was a super long title. I'm sure they would have changed it, but, I sort of did it with Jim Mafood, and it was about these kids, um, these sort of skateboard ninjas fighting this multi-dimensional sort of evil guy, and it was super fun. And so I, you know, right out of the gate, I was like, "Holy shit!" I sold the show. Like, here I wanted to become a creator. You know, I wanted to become a creator. I wanted to become a writer. I ended up selling the show, but you, it started to lose momentum um, pretty quickly. And then I started to, and but that's how I met Joe Casey. So I was writing. He asked me like, "Hey, do you want to write?" He had read some of my samples. He's like, "Do you want to re- write some Ultimate Spider-Man episodes for Disney XD?" So I started writing episodes of that. And then you know, it, like everything I was doing was sort of leading to something else. Um, also, it's funny like when Kevin and I made. When Kevin and I were working, we got to sort of live in our own little bubble. And, you know, we did our thing, and, and it was pretty simple, and we didn't need to know a million people. We didn't necessarily need to sort of, I guess the word is network or, or yeah. reach out. So that was part of what I learned was I was like, oh, I need to sort of, I need to put myself out there more and get to know more people in the business um, doing various things. And that's when I met, uh, and I had known our line producer, Laura Greenlee, who did Mallrats. She did every movie of ours but Clerks and Chasing Amy. She was friends with a guy named Aaron Warner who produced all the Shrek movies. And I had sort of met him, and we'd become friends. And I, you know, somewhere when I was working with Kevin, I saw The Incredibles, and that had sort of shifted my my what I want to do yeah I was sort of like oh I want to direct an animated movie I was like that's like like I want to I want to know what I want to know that like I not only just want to direct one but I also want to like see what all of that experience is like for to make a a big not a big CG movie but to work on an animated movie and so all those things are sort of rolling around I ended up um, becoming friends with Aaron and I was doing a rewrite for his company on like a rated R comedy and uh, and then this opportunity to do uh, this it was called Turkeys at the time um, it would become Freebirds yeah. and the opportunity to come on as a creative producer and at this time like this is this is a while ago and there's more animated movies being made now, uh, a lot more. And so there's probably more opportunities. But at that time, like, 
that was probably the best opportunity I was going to get to really like to dive into the deep end of making a CG, a 3d CG movie. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I did that. That was like 18 months, 19 months, kind of almost two years. And, uh, and while I was doing that too, I, while I was trying to, I mean, now I'm going back a little bit. Um, when I did, when we did Zach and Mary, I did a short documentary with, um, these guys who were on the editorial crew of Jersey girl, Tim Sternberg and Francisco Bello. And they were making this short documentary called Salim Baba. And, I'd seen like a rough cut of it and I was thought it was amazing. And so I gave him a little bit of money and we sort of, I can't remember what credit. I mean, they're an exec producer or a producer, but I kind of like, I really loved it. And so I pushed that ahead and then I got the bug of making documentaries. So I was kind of like the, that was the entry point for me where I was like, I love doing this. And off of that, you know, after Zach and Mary, like, then I ended up cutting Small Town Gay Bar. So, Malcolm, wasn't it? You got involved with Malcolm. Yeah, I knew Malcolm for a while, and it was between Clerks and Zach and Mary that I cut that. And that's the thing that made me sort of fall in love with making docs. And then the Salim Baba was sort of during Zach and Mary. Yeah. Um, or at the same time. And then after Zach and Mary, I was like, oh... I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't really get work as a writer. (laughs) And so I tend to have this idea where I was like, you know what, like just start working. Like just, you know, I wasn't making any money. I was making a little bit of money writing. You know, I was trying to sell some original ideas. It wasn't going very well, but I just, it's hard for me to sit still. And I was like, well, just start working. Like just start making shit and sort of see what happens. And so put myself out there. And the next thing I knew, I was making uh, a band called Death and uh, Milius and uh, one called Best Kept Secret. And so I kind of was like dug into that just to kind of get going, you know, out of desire. Like I was excited to do them because I love documentaries. and I really wanted to make a music documentary and a, and a film documentary, but I also was fueled by just like, I, <clears throat> I find it really hard to just sit. I kind of have to just dig into stuff. And I also have this philosophy where I'm like, look, just start doing stuff, you know, just start doing stuff. That's how, um, that's how all this stuff happens. Everything that's happened to me is just like, if I just start doing things, I didn't get, I mean, out of those three movies, I, I lost money. I didn't make a dollar off of any of them. And I doubt I ever will. But it pushed, you know, it just ended up pushing me into, it's just, it, I don't know. It's like, it's just something that it's, it's like work begets work. Like I just, if I start working, then, then, Things uh, then happen. opportunities just pop up. Yeah, you know, I, I think opportunity is like you—it's like no one gets an opportunity sitting, no, sitting sitting on their butt. It's like you know, and it's weird. It's that thing where I always say work begets work because I'm like, if you're if you're sitting around waiting for the right thing, 
it's like there's all these people who want to hire people going like, well, well, yeah, well, why aren't you working? So part of it's just maintaining a sense of like, oh, shit, this guy's like, you got shit going on. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm losing money <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> I can't but eat, like, but yeah. Yeah, like some of it is about perception, Yeah, you know? And it's it's not only people's perception of you, but it's your own perception of yourself. You yeah. Know? Like you wake up in that morning and I got cuts to review and I got to deal with this and I got to deal with that. You know, I'm not making any money, but I'm still making movies, you know? Like I'm still, my perception of myself is, is of like, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I'm like making stuff. And you must feel like you have a purpose to get up, otherwise you just lie around in bed doing nothing all day. Yeah, I mean, you know, having internal, relying 100% on your own internal motivations is, is, I mean, it, that's a tall, like, I, 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 I'm always weary of that, where I'm like, look, it's good to have external motivations. I think you need to be internally motivated, but I think, you know, having somebody where you're like, oh, these people are depending on me to do this thing. I think it's like you need to at least have a mixture. It, being Putting yourself in a situation where it's like you are, you're, you're, you're basically have to be 100% internally motivated. You know, you're, you're making your life harder on yourself. Yeah. Um, you're putting yourself in a, in a tough situation. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that you know, you've you've set a a very a very um, tough goal, but having like for me, like uh, you know, and while I was doing those things, while I was doing those documentaries, which created and I love the documentaries, but it creates sort of external motivation where I know I have to do this, and I know I have to do that. Um, you know, it also in that in the meantime, doing that, like I'm also sort of you know, able to carve out the time for the things I want to do for myself. And, and so while I'm doing that, then I get the offer to do Freebirds, and I sort of jump on that opportunity because I was like, look, you know, it, I knew it was a tough schedule, but I was like, this is your chance to get a crash course and kind of learn how to do all this stuff. And so I did that. Um, and then I come off of that, and I'll be honest, like I was kind of, all the, I was sort of trying to figure out if I wanted to do animation again. Um, was it was it tough because you said that you was it you said the Incredibles you watched with Kevin, which kind of was the game changer for you that made you go, oh fuck, this is what I want to do. Then when you went to do Freebirds and actually got to get involved and spend eighteen months of your life invested in it, did it give you the that sort of fire in your stomach that you then want to do more or was it a bit of a oh fuck this is completely different and not what I expected and a lot a lot different to what I had hoped I think the thing that I it wasn't that like I I, I actually really I love being around artists uh, it's like you know one of the amazing parts of making animation is being around so many artists whether they be you know uh Viz dev artist or you know digital artist or storyboard artist it's like it's so much fun to be around you know because i wanted to go to art school too yeah and, and i sort of picked film school so to me animation is sort of like me living out a little bit of pulling those two things together so i loved all that the biggest the thing what happened at the end of Freebirds was go, you know because i was the producer i was like can i get it like 
I wasn't sure I wanted to. Pro- once again, I was. Once again, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a producer, you know. So the struggle at the end was like, well, this maybe gives me a a foot in the door with animation, but is that just uh, another foot towards producing again? And so that's kind of what I was struggling with. It wasn't really about like, oh, I didn't like animation. I was more just like, well, is this just a, a is this just a ticket to produce more animated movies? Yeah. And so I was sort of just thinking about that and trying to figure out if that's what I wanted to do. And in the meantime, I was like, you know, I've always found that for me, like movie therapy uh, is what I call editing. It's just like movie therapy for me. I can sort of sit down and at a avid or an, and an edit machine in a dark room and there's something just so natural and um and soothing and calming about doing that um so i always so i I went back to editing i was like you know what i'm just gonna i don't know what i want to do next but i know what what i know what i i know that i know i love this like i know that i can sit down and do this and just really, really um, uh, get immersed um, and just sort of really tune in on something specific, which is, which you know, part of the reason why is because it's very, it's the opposite to me of producing where it's like, it's just, I get to do one thing, you know, like I'm, I'm not looking at the whole, I'm not looking at the 55 pieces of the pie. I got one piece of the pie and that's all I give a shit about and that's all I got to focus on. And so um, after Freebirds, I, I took over as the editor on a movie called No Escape, which was with uh, Owen Wilson and Lake Bell and Pierce Brosnan by uh, these guys, the Dowdle Brothers. Um, and so I took over. I mean, the movie was pretty close. I mean, the, the, the cut I saw, I didn't do that much work. I was just kind of there to to sort of manage some notes and, and sort of look at a couple things at the end. Um, and so I did that and I, you know, it was just like a really great sort of fun experience and I really liked the directors and the producers. And, and so then I finished that and then I went straight on to, so Zach Knudsen who did Milius, um, he got a job doing the, there was like, it was a documentary for ABC called Pulp to Pop about Marvel. Yeah. And uh, so I, Zach calls me about the Marvel documentary. I cut that. And during that period of time, I got an uh, email from Chris Maldonary, uh who runs Illumination. And I start meeting with him, um, just like general meetings. And then uh, he brings up the Grinch. And I thought about it and, you know, I've always, you know, always been a fan of the property and he sort of brought up the Grinch as a producer. My original job was as a producer on it or one of the producers. And so we talked about it and I jumped on board like in 
December 1st, 2014. That long ago, and, crazy. Yeah, it was almost four years. Yeah. It's been four years, yeah, essentially. And, yeah, and then it was just, you know, it's been four four years, and, and at some point I was sort of, I, you know, as a creative producer, I'm very hands-on. I do, you know, really sort of in the mix. And so, you know, at one point I was elevated to director, which I had been very forward upfront about at the beginning. Yeah. Was that something that I really wanted to do? And I co-directed, a, you know, while I was producing Grinch, I co-directed a short for the Sing DVD with uh, somebody, um, which was really fun. And then, and then I got the opportunity and I was, and I called my wife and I was like, well, uh, this is the opportunity and we're going to, you know, it's like direct the movie and move to Paris. And yeah, it all happened really fast. And she was okay with that. She was like, yeah, Paris is good with me. Yeah. She, we don't have kids. So it's the, the, you know, the, the sort of the heavy, like, Oh shit, what are we going to do of having kids? Just like, it's just us and some dogs. And so not to say that getting the dogs there wasn't slightly complicated, but it's, but they don't give a shit. No. No. There's like, you know, there's, you know, there's a, there's grass to shit on and there's food in the bowl. So they're fine wherever they are. Um, yeah, it was just like the start of a, you know, a big, huge adventure, which just wrapped up in the last four or five weeks. And how do you feel about the response? Because it's a massive film. It's one of the biggest films releases of the year. Your name's everywhere. You've got to travel again everywhere. And this is going to lead to so many doors opening for you that... Uh, do you feel content? Do you feel happy? Do you feel excited? Uh, I, You know, I, I feel all three of those things. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm content after doing all the... the you know, four years of work and it's not just my work, it's the work of everybody. Yeah. You know, you're surrounded by so many people working so hard that, you know, you, you're, you want it to be received well by audiences and you want it to be successful for all of us, you know, to sort of, you know, cause look, nobody goes out to make something that nobody goes sees. No. <laughs> like, you know, it's not, you know, <clears throat> You also go like, yeah, but I'm also not totally in control of whether that happens. So the excitement for me is is I'm really happy that, that audiences are receiving it, so I'm happy for everyone that worked on it. I'm excited. Um, I'm trying to be really present, you know, yeah, and just sort of enjoy this moment. I think because it's four years, it's easier to do in a way because you're just like, holy shit, that was a long time. Like I've never, that's twice as long as any other movie we've made. And so, you know, the fact that it took four years is just this big reminder of like, well, you know, stay in the moment right now and just enjoy this time. Um, the movie coming out in November was, you know, it's kind of perfect because the movie's out and, you know, there isn't that much to do between now and the end of the year, except for listening to more fucking Christmas music. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, um, it still is, it's, it's sort of only settling in now. Yeah. You know, it takes a little while. You're, 
you sort of are watching it happen versus sort of going like, Oh, that happened. You know, I still feel it's happening and, and I'm super happy. And it was such a great challenge, um, to make the movie and to move to France. And it was just such a great challenge and a great experience. And, 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 you know, I think looking forward, it was such a great challenge and experience that, that I kind of recognize that that's what I'm looking for next is the, is the challenge and the experience. Um, Cause when those two things when you can have it, when you can really line it up and, and challenge yourself and, and create an experience where you're pushing your boundaries, when you get done, regardless of what happens with the movie, as far as whether it's successful or not, you know, you've grown and you've learned. And so I think it's a, it's really important that, that whatever I do next has, has that, that challenge to it. And, 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 a, and a new experience wrapped around it. So whatever happens, personally, I get to walk away saying like, you know what, I, I you know, whatever happened, happened, but I, I grew as a person and I pushed myself and, and, and I can look back on it with, with pride and, and, and know that I, that, that I showed up and, and that I'm a, you know, I'm a better person coming out the other side. My my final question for you today, now you've adjusted to the animation, you've got such a big release under your belt, you've gone through a whole different process. What do you want from your future now? Is it a case of doing more animation and just growing and getting, you know, eight films under your belt of all animation? Or is there still something you're like, oh, now I've done this, I've have you seen something else like The Incredibles that's now making you want to do a horror or you want to do something different or are you are you thinking this is what I'm good at and I want to stick at it? Um, you know, I, I, it really is just about like um, finding a great story. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, regardless of genre, I'm old enough now to be like, I don't want to just go make something that I haven't done for the sake of doing it. it. It's like whatever I do, whether it be animation or live action or a horror movie or whatever it is at the heart of it is like trying to find a really great story that I can sort of connect with and sort of, you know, and so that's all that, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now and that's the path I'm on trying to sort of locate that. And, and whatever, you know, if it's a TV series, like whatever it is, a documentary, like, you know, I'm still sort of, I'm still fueled by, as far as directing, you know, yeah. like as far as directing goes, uh, it's, it's about finding something, a story that I really connect with. And, you know, if it's animation or live action or horror or thriller or, or a comedy, then, then sort of that's what I will try to do outside of that. If I'm, you know, I also still like to executive produce or, yeah. or work on documentaries. And, and that's where I sort of search a little bit more intentionally to be like, Oh, what's something I haven't done or what's a, 
a sort of space that I haven't experienced because, you know, I can, I can apply myself to it without sort of having to dig in like super deep on it. You know, I can kind of be a part of it and be a part of it with filmmakers who are super connected and understand that. And then I just get to sort of have the great experience of sort of, you know, being in that mix and expanding my sort of my creative palette in collaboration with people who are, you know, really driven and connected to that. And so, you know, I'm always looking for a couple of things to executive produce or sort of help shepherd along that, you know, might be a little bit more outside of my wheelhouse because I, because I also really love that too. So that's kind of where I'm at right now is I'm, I'm looking for my next thing and trying to figure out what the next directing gig will be. And, and sort of, you know, becoming involved in a couple of smaller projects that I think just have, you know, really great film, filmmakers attached to them, young people, you know. I love, I like working with people, you know, it's fun to work with people who are, come from another generation, you know, 10 years younger than me who are, have a different perception or idea or not even 10 oh i said 10 like 18 years younger than me (laughs) (laughs) some of the people and you know they just have a different take on things they have a different um set they have a different perspective and so i i enjoy being exposed to that and and sort of challenging my perspective and trying to align with theirs is is really fun and and keeps me young. It sounds like you're in a great place and you've worked hard for it. It's took many years, but you you're finally directing. You're doing animation. You're ticking all these boxes, and I I just wish you the best. I think you know it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you, and the stories you've shared and the the, the insight you've given me is just astounding. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was really great to to talk and, and to sort of, I, that you've given, I, I feel like all I did was sort of blab on about like a, my sort of year to year of making movies, which I guess was, was the point. <laughs> it's a, you know, I'm already being sort of reflective yeah. with the movie out, you know, cause I'm in that, you know, to, to the time between movies is always a reflective time. So it was good for me to work some shit out. So there it is, there's me and Scott talking all things Viewerskew and how his career has panned out since leaving Kevin Smith after the making of Zack and Mary Make a Porno and his career has gone on to new, different avenues and it's just been a lot of fun. A great guest and a long interview that I hope you all loved. It's funny when you're doing these edits and recording and putting these podcasts together, you're thinking, do the public and the people out there still want to listen to hour and a half interviews where it gets really deep and a big story behind it? Or do people just want the short, snappy 10 minutes? And I still don't know. I know YouTube and the generation that people watch those sort of movie trailers and stuff, it's all snappy, two-minute things. But I do hope that people out there are still loving these long, detailed interviews because it's what I enjoy doing the most. But let me know. You know, hook me up on Twitter or Facebook and give me your feedback. I want to give a big, huge thank you for Scott because he's been very busy with The Grinch coming out last year. He's been full-on and non-stop since. So to give me that time is... Very much appreciated. 
You know the score by now. If you go on markandme.com, there's my links to my Facebook, my Twitter, and my Instagram. You can also email me on there. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can go on to Spotify and follow me. But I read all the comments you send, and it's all very much appreciated. And I really value you all taking the time to spend letting me know how you enjoyed the episodes. And all the feedback is great, and I'll make sure I personally reply to it all. I have got a Patreon, and the prizes are going to be starting again next week. I've just had to pay a huge amount of money for new server space, but now we'll be getting invested in loads and loads of prizes for you all. If you go on to markandme.com, there's links on there, and you can sign up for as little as 50p a month. And do you know what? I was in B&Q the other day, and you can't even get a plant for that. Well, you could, but it was a bit battered and a reduced one, but do you know what I mean? That is good value for money. And do you know what? I'll be back within a week with a brand new episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you.